on this episode of Quantum Week, October 9th through 15th, 1988. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year. We talk about movies and music and headlines and personal stories. And we are in uh, mid-October 1988, talking Die Hard and Red Red Wine, the UB40 version. Right off the top. Yes. Announce the next week's show. Did we already do that? Next week's show, we had a bonus episode coming out. Bonus episode. Yeah, one of so our Monday. $50 the- uh, patrons. Right. Um, uh, we, we got one of our $50 patron, uh, his week is up and we, when that happens, we do, we do three shows. So you're going to be getting a Labor Day show, kids. It's a, it's such a big week for you guys. So cool. It's so fucking awesome. <sighs> well, no Jerry show, no Kirk show no, on Monday. No. Yeah. Not no a lot, regular shows. Probably, no, probably not a lot of content anywhere. No, I don't think. No. Um, so yeah, so uh, Labor Day show, uh, and it's going to be the movie. This is the movie, uh, the patron really want to pick. And, um, and it was, it's last the Mohicans. So that'd be the Labor Day show. Yep. And then Saturday, we got a big one. Uh, it's our first sequel that we haven't, no, that's not true. We did Indiana Jones. We think we did a couple did of them. We do, yeah. But, uh, but in a row. In a row. In the right order in is the right our first order. time doing it. And yeah. that is going to be Batman Returns. Yep. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're a newer listener, we covered the Batman 1989 episode uh, a couple of months ago. Months, yeah. Um, so you can go back and find that, obviously. Uh, and then this is going to be Batman Returns, of course, with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Dan DeVito. And Tim Burton, of course, again, right. comes back, and, and uh, Keaton comes oh, back. Uh, yeah. So, and then the, uh, the Patreon show is going to be The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. That's a pretty big week he picked. I think so. So, um, so yeah, so the Monday, you'll get a, a bonus episode, so hopefully that is, so yeah, you get, I think three days in a row, you're going to be getting, if you're a patron, you're going to be getting content three days in a row, because uh, we have today's show, Die Hard. The Patreon show is The Accused, which you'll hear tomorrow. And then Monday, for everyone, free again. Oh, yeah, good point. That's three quantum week in a row. That looks very confusing. It's crazy. And yeah, then Monday is, the uh, of course, going to be uh, last weekends. So, uh, and if you are, uh, if, obviously, I said uh, that one will be free. The cues is uh, the patron show, but that's only $5 a month. Uh, you get a bonus episode every week. Um, we have a long list of shows we've covered. Yeah, 40, I think, at this point, or 41, something. Yeah. yeah. Tons. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's, and then, yeah, so big week next week. So. Big week next week. Anything else with, uh, with that or any other housekeeping before we get into Die Hard? You can hit Die Hard. Okay, Die Hard. Um, McTiernan has two good films back-to-back in back-to-back years uh, with Predator and then Die Hard. This is an extremely enjoyable action film. Um, he is very skilled at making them, or at least he was at this time. And uh, very much enjoy it. Die Hard's iconic. I've loved it my entire life. I still love it. It's great. Yeah. The only question is, is this the best action movie ever? Like, that's, that's the only Like, you know, for me, it's like, it is. Um, I'm not a huge action movie guy, to be honest with you. Um, so for me, it's like, all right, this, Speed, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is in that argument somewhere. But this stands, I think this stands ahead of them. This is... I think the best action movie ever made. It probably is. I've seen other action movies with better action in spurts, but not as good, you know, top to bottom movie. Yeah, the way that first act propels you is wild. Um, McTiernan, we talk about McTiernan. Uh, this is our third McTiernan movie. We, we covered Predator. We also did uh, Hunt for October. Yep. Uh, we talk about his history, which is checkered and bizarre and weird in the Hunt for October episodes. You might want to go back and check that one out. 
Um, we, you know, McTiernan has like a, a, a end up, ended up in prison for a while. The whole thing. I, I don't want to re- relitigate that. Um, but you go back and check out the Hunt for October episode. And obviously, we do talk about him as well. The Predator, which we yes, and I both yes, loved. Yes, yes. Yep. Um, the Predator is one of my top. Oh, shit, uh, uh, yeah, I love that movie. Top fifty, top forty, top thirty action movies ever made. Yeah. Um, and and just like Predator, Die Hard's a better movie than Predator by by quite a bit, in my opinion. But um, both are but super he, fun though. But he, you couldn't have gotten more out of that out of that squeeze. No. Like Predator is as good as it ever could be. Yeah. With those actors. It, the, the cast, yeah. the, the mont, like the, everything about it is like so interesting. How it's filmed, the How location. Filmed. And this is another movie where the location is so important. That's funny. Oh, back yeah. to back, like the jungle in Predator is another character. And so is the tower here. Yeah. So it's Hunt, Hunt for October, the sub. You oh, can right. make that point too. Hunt right, for October, right. Matt and I didn't like as much. Um, in fact, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. I don't think I recommended it. Um, but, you're right. And this in particular is, I mean, Nakatomi Tower, of is. course, has become iconic. <laughs> it has. So many things in this movie have become iconic. Um, one thing I do want to get out of the way, because it's, it's honestly, honestly this conversation that bores the fuck out of me. I really don't want to spend too much time oh, talking about it. Let's not talk it. about the Christmas thing. We have, to, we, we have to at least broach it. It's just dumb. Like, if you think, if you like, I know people like think they're rebellious. Like, I watch Die Hard at Christmas. It's, it's like, all right, it's a great movie. Like, you can watch it in March. You can watch Anytime it in December. you want. Is it a Christmas movie? Yeah, it has some, it takes place during Christmas. So sure. Fine. If you don't think it's a Christmas movie, I mean, I classify it as an action movie, I guess. I would classify, like, It's a Wonderful Life as a Christmas movie. So, but this is, but I, I've, I've, had, I've watched this movie at Christmas before. Me too. And I've not watched it at Christmas. So you know yeah. what? I enjoy it the same. So I think it's a stupid thing. It's a weird, I mean, I guess it's cool that the movie has, one thing that's great is this movie is a great movie. So I'm, yeah. giving, I'm giving this an A. Oh, uh, A minus, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it's, I, it's a hard, because it's not. It's hard. I think it, it gets knocked down because of the genre, which is so bad. I know. It's so bad. So I'm so I'm there too. So, it's just not so <sighs> it's not like a But it's I can't it's the best action we've ever made. How do I not give it an A? I don't know. But then again, like it's not You're right. I hear you say no, I agree it's, with you. I think we're in like lockstep here, which is unfortunate. Yeah, sorry about that. Again, but um I know, but like we have to give it an A, right? It's, if it's, the, it's best, not, if the best it's ever happened, if it's the best ever been done. I know, but it's it's more like, what are the best movies I've ever seen? And I, know. I don't think that it crests that. It comes really close though. It does. It's super enjoyable. I think I did this, we had the same issue, I think, with Predator. I think I gave it an A minus for that I one as well. I gave that a B plus, I believe. Right? You might have, you might have right. doubted right. a little. Right, right, but right. I, but I, I can't. Well, neither, well, you like action movies more than I do. You like all that Fast and Furious and uh, Avengers yeah, stuff. Yeah, you say that, yeah. Um, these, this is way more enjoyable than any of those. See, I don't consider Dark Knight an action movie. Is that stupid? Because Dark Knight's better than this. It's a, dr- oh yeah. E- yeah, it is. It is. So I guess it depends how like narrow That's you want to get the action. I wouldn't call it. This it's is like more a of a superhero that. movie. This is action to action to action. I, you don't get that in, in, uh, no. in Dark Knight. There's a lot, all, there's more drama. This, this to me is like speed. Like this, and which the reason I keep mentioning speed is because A, both are amazing, yep. but B, both had Jean de Bont involved. John DeBont was the cinematographer here. Some of his shots in this movie are incredible. There's yeah. one shot. It's a small thing, but it's great. You have two cars entering the Comey Plaza. One goes in the ramp and one just goes straight ahead, but they're both moving at a precision pace. And the reason that's shown that way is it's letting the audience know these bad guys know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. They're super coordinated. They're super bright. Yep. They got their shit together. This is not a clusterfuck. These are guys that know what they're doing. And it was a simple shot, a simple tracking shot of cars going to a parking garage, which for most people would be boring, Instead, it's actually kind of exciting to yeah. watch. Um, and it's just like, oh, that's right. Bond's a fucking genius. And we see it during Speed uh, as well. The entire movie is uh, done in different ways. Incredib- could be, could 
be a misstep, but the propulsion of it, once again, uh, of just the excitement, it's wall oh, it's to breakneck. wall action. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yep. Um, and then we get it, we get it here. I mean, the bond and McTiernan together in this movie, what the, the way they structured, the way the film is structured and shot is perfect. Like, could you do this any better? I don't think you could, but it's hard to give it an, it's just, it's not, it's like an A to me, right? I, I, I just don't, yes, it might be the best that's been ever made, that's ever been made. I, I don't know. I gotta go A. I'm not, maybe not A plus, but I'll go A. I know it's kind of a couch, but I, I, I can't not, I can't not give it an A. It's I hard. Guess. I think I gotta stay with A minus. But it's but not it's making so, my, I don't think it makes my top 20 of movies. I think that's, or what? It's or, in my top, it's like 23rd. Is it in your top 100 yes. all time? That makes sense. It's like but, 60th. But not, but not all of those are A's, right? No. Okay. This is probably the breaking point. Okay. It's probably the worst A, but that's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's, it's a great not, movie. It's a great movie. It's super fun. Um, and one of the reasons the movie is so great is Bruce Willis. He's awesome. And I forgot that he really had only done Blind Date for a movie before this. Moonlighting. I know, of course. Yeah, he was on TV, but it's a different animal. It is and it isn't, though. The character, though, um, in Moonlighting, he plays... Um, God, I forget his name. I'm sorry. David, right? Um, David A. It starts with A. What's his? Uh, David. Archer? No, I can't remember. David Ames? I can't remember. I uh, in Moonlight, he actually is, is more sim. He okay. The character in Moonlighting is more similar to the character in Die Hard than the character than he plays in Pulp Fiction or Sixth Sense. Sure. Like it's this smart ally he got. And he, I was thinking, watch him. Like he kind of loses that. Like think about like Unbreakable or The Sixth Sense or um or uh, Pulp Fiction. No, he or, loses his charm. He loses that like witty. He's not like you know, smart he, and It's smart almost like funny. when he went bald, he lost that smart ass thing. The second he lost his hair, like the smart ass went with it, which kind of sucks because I like that guy. I think he went kind of corporate. He was sort of everyman back here. What do you mean? Like blue collar everyman. But now, oh, right. but, then, but then he's sort of- he, Well, he's kind of an everyman in Pulp Fiction. Well, not everyman, but he's, he plays, he plays a- He has to have a huge attitude and, and a lot of confidence there. He's more self, to, he's self he kind of hates himself in this movie. He, because he's known, he knows yeah, that he it's his fault. He totally he failed, like he's yeah. failing his marriage. Even though he lashes out at at, uh, at Holly, he knows it's his fault. It oh, really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, he totally. And so hates he kind of hates yeah. himself. He does but, totally. He's, but that's not. Butch is like super confident, huge ego. The doctor in Sixth Sense hates himself though. That's different because he's way. He's so vulnerable. He has hair. Fake <laughs> <laughs> though. Um, I, I just think that like that I lights when he's like, you know, he's so funny in this. He really is. And he stopped. He's very funny in blind date too, as well. He's very funny in moonlighting, but at some point, like he stops being funny. Yeah. I wonder like, I almost think like Hudson Hawk, like did something to him. Like it's everything changed from after Hudson Hawk. And, I mean, the movie movie did, actually did very well overseas, made a show out of money. It didn't do very well domestically. It did? Yeah. I, I saw it once as a kid and I'm like, I know, I'm not, I know. it bombed horribly here, but it actually did, did well overseas. Made, That's made, funny. Made go shit a lot of shit a lot of money, but it, but it, however, what, whatever happened overseas at that time, really, people didn't really care about overseas box office. So the perception was it was a bomb, and then he kind of like you know he lost his way a bit, like he was kind of floundering. I mean, He's he, had a very uneven career, and now and yeah, even if has. you take out the last ten years, which have been a yeah, fucking actually, yeah, nightmare, it's still been been the most uneven. consistent of his career. It's been a nightmare. It's all been bad. It's it's so it's all these B movies. It's yeah. really crazy. I've Direct seen a couple video, of them, and they're like, what the fuck are yeah, we doing here with Bruce? Yeah, I know he stopped. You want a paycheck? I don't know what happened. I like the, I, I mean, know. Nick Cage is kind of doing the same thing. Although people have said good things about this movie pig that just came out. He's done a bunch of like B movies. Yeah. But it's a, it's a rough stretch. Yeah. I know. But Nick. Yeah, I know. I got to see pig. I didn't, I didn't end up watching it. I ended up watching, um, what's the, uh, not River Phoenix, the Joaquin Phoenix movie. You were never really here. Yeah. How was it? 
good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Dark. I've heard good things about tough. that. Tough. It's good. I'll check that out. We just, that's, a, that's a movie we'd ever run into either. No, we'll never. No, no. I, I don't know what happened to Bruce Willis. Are you right? There's like there's three phases of his career. Phase one is the moonlighting diehard. He's a smart aleck guy, really handsome, fun, charismatic. That guy, the guy we see in this movie. Same thing with uh, Last Boy Scout. He's that same guy. Yeah. Yeah. Phase two of his career is the Pulp Fiction, Sixth Sense, qu- Unbreakable, quieter roles, more grounded. Yeah. Um, very serious. Um, but still making intelligent, interesting movies. Right. Um, and then the third phase of his career has become this like direct to video schlock. Like these shit Weird movies. sci-fi movies he shouldn't be in. I, I mean, I know that like this happens to these older action stars where they just start doing these shitty movies. Like, I, I don't, I don't, is it obviously there's like an audience for it. And obviously I know a lot of it also stems from like the Liam Neeson taken thing where like, oh no, sure. older guys can be action stars. Then they can make a movie on the cheap. And there's obviously some sort of demographic out there that's buying those. Well, I see Bruce Willis. I, I'm not fooled anymore, but for a while there, I was like, I see Bruce Willis. I'm like, I want to check this out. I like Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there were a number of people that felt that way and and saw those movies and so he just kept going, I guess. But he he has lost. So I wonder if, too, part of it is he's older. Like by the, He's like 30-something here. Yeah, he's 33 in Moon, here. In Moonlight, here. Actually, I think in Moonlighting, he started when he was 30. Yeah. That's kind. That's a little older. So now, by the time he's making movies and action movies, he's mid thirties. Oh, I agree. Late- that's one of the things watching this. I was like, "All right, so this is Bruce Willis' second movie, right? Yeah. And this is Alan Rickman's first, right? And it's like, oh, that kind of sucks. Rickman was in his forties. Bruce Willis in his thirties, and this is the first time we kind of got to meet them. Yeah. Like, I feel like we were cheated. Yeah. Like we missed like ten. You know, and Bruce Willis is one of those guys that's always looked old. So maybe it wouldn't have worked for him in his twenties. Uh. Obviously, he's a working actor. He's also a bartender. There's even a, a joke about a bartender in, uh, in this movie. I think it's a it's a nod to Bruce Willis having been one. Um, but uh, yeah, I wonder if like some of these guys, like Clooney was the same way. Like I know Clooney did a yeah, lot of TV work. ER, but he was still older. He was still no, in his thirties by right, ER. But think about it, like he did Facts of Life. He did. Um, he yeah, was in Roseanne. Kind of bit part though in Facts of Life. He wasn't. No, he's a cast member. He's was a, he? Yeah, he's regular. Uh, for only for a couple of years, but he did that and he did um Roseanne for the first couple of seasons. But like he oh, never looked right. Like he was a younger guy, but he didn't. He, he did look goofy. He didn't grow into it. Weird. Yeah. But then when he's in ER, yeah, yeah, he was actually in a show called ER in the eighties on CBS, believe it or not, with yeah. uh, Adam Arkin. Um, and um, so he was in two ERs. But then in the ER and NBC. By then he like grew into himself. It's like yeah. oh no, this guy's like really handsome, really charismatic, comfortable guy. But it took him until just like Bruce Willis until his mid thirties. I think the difference between Clooney and Willis is that. Willis obviously is a better action star. No question about that. But Clooney's a better actor. True. But I, it's hard for me to think of, of Willis as he's more than an action star. Like he's a better, he's a way better actor than that. I don't, you don't think so? I don't know. I mean, I, well, the, I think the proof, you know, that's the one thing about when these actors age is you can kind of see like, all right, how good are they? Like Paul Newman was good until like, he's great in road to perdition. That's his last movie. Like he's always a great actor. He's yeah. like, he, like, he doesn't need his looks, even though he got by and his, you know, he got ahead early on in the sixties cause he was so handsome, but you, like, he's an old man. Like, no, this guy's a fucking great actor. Yeah. Like, you know, these older guys that can still Anthony Hopkins. He just won the Oscar. Right. That movie's incredible. Yeah. What is it? Uh, it was the, 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 the father or something. The father. Right. It's a fucking incredible yeah. movie. Like, like, and he's like, it's like, Oh, this guy's a great actor. But like when you get by on your looks or on being like a tough guy and you don't have that in your back pocket anymore, it's like now you just need to act. But he has so much more depth. He's got all the charm that Schwarzenegger has, but way more depth. I say more charm than Schwarzenegger. More depth. Yeah, you're right. 
I, I agree. So he but definitely tra- couldn't act either. Like that's what happened in his career. Like exactly. once you took away the right. tough guy, it's like, oh, this guy's got nothing. Right. Yeah, that's why, but that's why I put him a few steps above above him. Oh, me too. In terms of oh, his I skill do too. set. Like Stallone, I guess, is the guy that's had this weird career where, you know, he's you know, he his career plateaued after, you know, maybe like the nineties uh, were like up and down with the cliffhanger was sure. good. And then he, then he did like Copland where he's not as tough anymore, but Stallone is actually, if he wants to be, is actually a really good, he's actor. a very talented actor. Like of he's, course he's a better actor than Bruce Willis. Yeah. I think that's right. But so they're, get, they're a pretty good comp, but I think that's why his career was able to last so much longer than Willis's is because he is just, an, just better enough. I should have looked and seen what Bruce Willis's last good movie was. Oh, probably. Yeah, I, I don't even know. If, I haven't seen him. I, I don't. I doubt it's very good. But I know he's like has like a role in those expendable movies. Yeah, and I just don't. I don't. I've, I think I saw the first one. I just don't care. That type of meathead action, I don't care about anymore. I've never seen it. I'm sure we'll run into one. it. It was. It was okay. Oh yeah, they, they, I mean, all like, of them were. Huge. I like the concept. It's a cute concept. It's fine. It's like, fine. It's that's not a bad. This worse. But like that's the, but the '80s. That '80s action. I don't. Yeah. I'm not. You know, we we've moved on from. I've but moved I think on like John Claude Van Damme. Like, exactly. He doesn't do it. Like Steven Seagal. Like once right. you take away the toughness for those guys, um, and they got nothing left. Not much there. You know, Alan Rickman. Meanwhile, this is his first film. He's incredible in this, by the way. Oh my god, he's awesome. Oh, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Top tier, like most iconic bad guys ever. Darth Vader, Hannibal Lecter. Do you think Joker, you, Heath Ledger? Jo- maybe? Yes, yeah, right. Hey, that's. I have a hard time putting it just because it's recent enough. I realize it's been a decade, but it's, it's recent enough where it's hard to necessarily. But but okay. Do you think Gruber's there? Oh, I do. He's certainly in my like. I haven't made the list. I was wondering if he's just maybe in a tier down. I don't. I mean, maybe. I guess. I guess maybe or maybe in the tier down, but like not far. He, like if you did like a top 10 best movie villains, like he'd have to be in there. He's incredible. Absolutely. He's so great. I love when he's playing the American, like uh, Alan Rickman, such a talented actor. Um, I think if you do his career, like if you do reset on his career, his simulation of the Alan Rickman career, like he, he wins, wins a bunch of Oscars. He wins Oscars like yeah. three times out of 10. Like, yeah. um, yep. Uh, but he, he kind of went for like bigger movies. Uh, like he does like Robin after this. He's really good now. What do you do? The Kevin Costner Robin Hood. Right, he was in that. Yeah, he's the bad guy. He's good. Forever. He's a bad guy. Like he's like, and like he does all the Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. And I'm not saying he like cha- it's I I have no problem with it because it's like all right, he's elevating these like bigger movies. That's fine. I that's not a you know great this way audiences see him and stuff. I get it. Sure. But like in a couple of different versions of his career, I wonder if he would have then chased the art more than if the he dollar. had more success when he was a kid I wonder, or younger, right. he could he, have taken right. more risks. Maybe, right. Maybe he was right. Right. He's like, Oh no, I'm trying to make up for a lost time. And right. you know, he did die relatively young. He died I in his late sixties. So like, you know, maybe he made the right move to take care of his family. Um, but yeah, Hans, Gru- Hans Gruber, incredible. Vil- I mean, like, un- like he, he plays the American. He even changes like his like jaw somehow. He makes himself look different. He does. When he's being an American, like, and, uh, McTiernan is such a genius. McTiernan like lights his hair differently. Yeah. Yeah. So the part so looks like, different almost. What's that? It's like the part looks different the, and lighter. Yeah. Like his oh, hair, yeah. like he shoots him at a different angle and he has the light, right? So his hair is much darker when he's the, when he's Hans Gruber, when he's playing the American w- William Clay, his hair actually is shot as a lighter way. And then, uh, Rickman does something like his lower jaw. He like makes it like makes his face smaller somehow yeah. it's really good and but his accent is so bizarre and weird <laughs> so weird um that like you can tell bruce willis isn't buying it but then yeah. like 
Bruce Willis is so is such a good is so good in this that like you know he doesn't buy it, but he doesn't need to telegraph it. Like he, he he's very it's obviously an over the top action movie. But Rickman and Willis are so intelligent that a lot of times they're doing stuff just with their eyes. So is the performances sometimes could be yes, very big and broad, but sometimes they can even be small and subtle. It's a really this is really good. This is an expertly made movie, like on all accounts. And you have and. And it actually revolves around those two and they're lucky because neither one of them had a movie career before this and those two hit it out of the park and everybody else is kind of an unknown. I mean, you have Bonnie Benilla here, but she's not really- Bonnie Benilla, yeah. Bedelia, sorry, not yeah. Benilla. Um, but she's not like a huge- No. No, I, I, I didn't, I don't know if I'd seen her in other stuff before this. No, she's not. You can't hook a movie. You can't hook a, at that time, $35 million action movie on Bonnie Bedelia. No, it was, no. so it's just, it's really the two of them and a bunch of unknowns. Well, he's an unknown, so it's really just Will. If you, that's what you know. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Oh, oh, yeah. So the studio gave Bruce Willis $5 million to be in this movie. Which is nuts. Which is- <laughs> It's so crazy. It's it's stupid. Like, this, someone should have been, like, obviously, it's the right decision. The studio is very smart here. They're like, this is the perfect guy for this role. Let's, let's t- do whatever it takes. Willis is playing hard to get because he's like, I don't want to do moonlighting and then die at the same time and be fucking exhausted. Yeah. So, and there was some times where the shoots did intersect and it was a pain in the ass. It was kind of, we talked about with Michael J. Fox and back to the future, how he was like doing double duty. Right. Um, so uh, this didn't sound as exhausting, but it, I think it was a big, a big ordeal. Well, uh, who was, uh, it was a civil shepherd who, who yes. did civil shepherd had maternity leave. Yes. So it broke, it broke, it broke open the schedule out. a little right. bit so that he could actually it fit it out. in. But they did a couple of times have to do, he had to do double duty, yeah. which, which is a lot. Right. But it wasn't like it was for Michael J. Fox, who was literally like Running doing family tie during the day. And then at night, and then he'd sleep for three hours and, re, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. And then he'd have to do all the, anytime they shot daytime coverage, it had to be in the weekends. It was fucking insane. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so Will, so they're like, so Will's playing hard to get. And they're like, we'll give you five million, which at the time was basically Arnold Schwarzenegger money. Yeah, it was the top, that was a top get from any A-lister. And like, he had been in like Blind Date, which made like $35 million. Right. Like, which don't get me wrong, it was a, it was a successful was a comedy. Movie, yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> that and from TV, I mean- yeah, and he was, on, he was on a hit show, but like, all right, like, this is a major action movie. And with also, like you said, like with a bunch of unknowns. It's like you're, you're hooking, in fact, the studio was, you know, obviously was, they, they paid the $5 million to get him, which everyone said was stupid at the time. And they were so nervous beforehand. A lot of the movie posters didn't have Bruce Willis on them. Well, that's the thing. They, they, they were like, uh. Well, he was turning people off in the tests. Yes. And, uh, and they were like, they were filming some of the marketing stuff too. And, and, uh, yeah, apparently the audience goers were like, oh, someone po- like someone asked cinema score to, to do a poll to see if, if people, if the audience would relate to him and they hated him, which makes no sense. Cause he's super charming yeah. and super funny. I think a lot of it is. So obviously if you, you know, if you're younger than us, I saw Die Hard in the movie theaters, um, which I'll talk about in personal story. But, um, I, uh, I, th- if you're younger, if you're, any younger than us on your less than 40 diehard probably doesn't feel as innovative or as new no. or as fresh no. because I cannot emphasize enough how everyone ripped this off. Like it became a thing like, Oh, like, um, you know, it's, it's uh, what's it like diehard with the babysitter or diehard in a boat or diehard in this. Exactly. Or die hard in that. It became like, a meme. Uh, speed even was like diehard in a bus. You right. see that a lot. Like it was just like, it became like a, uh, it, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, everyone ripped off diehard. Like, cause it was such a successful formula. And so it, you know, it, it kind of, but it, in 1988, if you went and saw this movie, it was unlike anything you've ever seen. Oh God. Yeah. It was wild. Like, cause the action never stopped. You never, it never took the, the pedal, the foot off the pedal. And it was just, it was just wall to wall. And it was unlike, so I bet a lot of people, if you look at like really innovative movies or movies that kind of break the mold, 
those cinema scores or testing is almost always bad because people are like, what the fuck is this? And think of what we just came off of too. So the whole, you know, mid eighties was all these larger in life, larger than life action stars who are kicking ass the entire movie. Top gun. They're not like, they're, 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 they're surreal. They're not getting hurt. They're doing Predator, all these crazy yeah, things. Right. And you have a super vulnerable action hero yes. who's getting the shit kicked out of him right. the entire time. Who's bleeding. He has to run through glass. So for the last third of the movie, he's got he's bleeding all over the place. He's got blood all over him. Yes. And he's emotionally vulnerable yes. and self-deprecating, but still like super determined to fucking win. Right. Not it it hadn't really been done. Not like this. No. And then just and just the pacing of the film had never been done. Like it's funny, you watch the movie now, it it doesn't feel slower, but it does feel a little dated. It does. It does a little bit. And yeah. it's just like cause you know, a couple of shots are just a little long and necessary. Like I have some mild critiques we can get into in a sec, but, sure. but, uh, but, um, but back then I can't emphasize enough. 1988, this movie felt like, uh, you were getting like shot with a yeah, thrill ride the entire time. It was, it was like a roller coaster, yeah. but yeah, but now you watch it. It's a little, it's a little slower, but it, it, it was, it was a, so I bet a lot of people were turned off by it. But even when the, when there are, everything could be lethal. Even when there are points in the movie where not a lot, where not a lot of action is happening, you are expecting something bad to happen because either someone's getting shot in the face um, or he, or Bruce Willis has got to deal with some like, you know, ridiculously catastrophic thing, like an elevator shaft. Yeah. He's got to jump down or jump off a building, even like building into that stuff. Everything he encounters is lethal and everything, everybody else is lethal. And we know that Hans Gruber will do anything. Oh yeah. He shoots, he shoots the CEO of the company right at the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah. Like we're like, okay, it's danger the entire way. And like we, you know, they, when we're introduced to the, uh, to, terrorists thieves. Well, no uh to oh, the uh to the owner the the japanese owner uh of the company um he uh he's very likable like oh you oh, like this is. guy like yeah. oh he's very he seems like a great guy you know so to have him just shoot him like that is like oh fuck like it's on this is a legitimately evil guy like right i will do anything do whatever it takes uh a couple critiques of the film okay um really just one major one so roger even gave this movie two stars it's um, unbelievable that he did that. Yeah. I think it goes back to, I think this movie, people didn't know what to do with it necessarily. Obviously monster hit audiences got it, but I think some of the critics maybe who hadn't had time to let it marinate or some people who maybe had seen this see, test audiences are seeing it oftentimes without having a trailer or a commercial kind of guide mm, their expectations. Like I you see. talked about when you saw uh, the cable guy, like you expect it to be one thing and end up being another and you didn't like it for that reason. Right. But once you kind of understood what it was supposed to be, then you're like, oh, and we talk about Demolition Man too. Like Demolition should have been marked, Demolition Man should have been marketed as a comedy. Yeah. But it wasn't. It's was marketed as a science fiction action movie. Right. Um, but when you kind of, you get a bad bill of goods or a bill of goods, you don't even know what to expect. Sometimes you just won't like it. Yeah. So uh, Roger Rodriguez movie two stars. He said the real reason why was because he didn't like Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason, of course, is the uh, principal in, um, Breakfast or the Club? vice principal in the Bre Breakfast Club. He's a great kind of, bad guy he, he, he owns it every time he's he's fun Super guy to smug, really get like, yeah. yeah i always i think he's a fun fun guy to have he's in great movie. and i think he's good in this me too his character is definitely one note always fucking up kind of just an empty suit that's what he's supposed to be there for for some reason roger Ebert, like said this is like this single-handedly ruined the movie which i don't that was a, that's, that's the thing that made insane. no sense it no. was a very it's a very small part and yeah you definitely needed was it al yeah uh, reginald to to, johnson yeah. sort of like be pushing against something yeah you need to give him you need to give Something him to right, an antagonist. Right. Yes, absolutely. 
the thing I don't like about this movie, though, is kind of, I guess, to Roger's point a little bit, is the next step of the FBI guys. Of course, Robert Davey, who's all the Goonies. I love the FBI guys. It's too short. It's like, what's the point? I want, I know I want to follow them through the, through a day. Like, I want to, I want to spend guys? time with them. Eh. It, no, it was awesome. They're so awesome. They're like super cocky, confident, but don't give a shit. And they end up going out in a blaze of glory. It's fucking awesome. It just felt like, it just felt extraneous. And then the other thing I didn't love was um, when Paul Gleason has the guys, the SWAT team go in and, and go into the building. Uh, those four guys. And cause yeah. like, cause the reason it's just like, it's, it drags on because you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to say yeah, they're not right? going to breach it. Yeah. So we spend like 15 minutes away from Bruce Willis, who we really like yeah. away from Alan Rickman, who we really like to watch these guys that we know are not going to succeed. It's, it's definitely, in my opinion, like, that. that should be wiped out. Like, there's no reason for it. It's just pointless. Um, so that was a little bit, that, that part always kind of, dra- that second act of this movie does, it does drag a little, a little bit, yeah. drag a little bit, mostly because yeah. of that. Yeah. And then the introduction of guys like the, F- I know I, I'm, the FBI guys themselves, I, I, we love Robert Davey. Very oh, talented. Oh, God, yeah. And, He's and super talented. the other FBI guy, the, and I liked the both named Johnson. I, it, was, <laughs> right. it was fine. I, I have no problem with that. But it was just like, at that point in the movie, all I care about is Willis and Rickman. That's all I want to see. I don't want to be introduced to new characters. I just want to follow these guys. I just felt like it was a little layer or note that you don't, like just, just a little extra, little, little extra fun to, uh, to chew on for a bit. I, I, I really liked them. I, I thought they were super, huge, I, th- I thought they were hilarious. Not huge critiques, but okay. just, just little things. Yeah. The, other, the other things I didn't love is the casting of Bronnie Bedelia. Yeah. I just don't. She's all right. She's, I, I think, uh, just not, not for me uh, on, on really every level. And then um, I think Reginald Bell Johnson's not great. That's uh, Al, the guy from Family Matters. You son of a bitch. He's not terrible. He's okay. I just, the problem here is it's not him who I like. He's a very friendly presence on screen. Oh, yeah. yeah Obviously, yeah. he's on Family Matters. And, you know, if you're a certain age, you grew up with that. And, and he's very warm even in, the, in this movie. He's a very friendly presence. But he's not a good actor. Like, he's okay. And then you have Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman who are like, wild, who are two of the most iconic action movie parts ever. And then you have this other guy who's like kind of having these stale line readings. And it just feels weird. Uh, I thought he was okay. I thought he, I thought he's he did okay. fine. I thought he did fine. But when you're like, when you're in a batting lineup and everyone else is an all-star and you're yeah. like, you know, not to use Darren Bragg again, but like if you're Darren Bragg, it's just like, uh, if you're like, you know, it's like, eh, it's just, it's, what are you doing here? I thought he's warm and comforting. I, I, I'm fine with him. It, it doesn't he's bother okay. me. It doesn't These bother are me. very mild critiques. The Bonnie Bedelia miscasting, I think, is a bigger one. Yeah. I just think she's a, like, I don't, she's not fun. Like, the, this movie's pretty fun. Like, Alan Rickman really fun. is, like, the funnest bad guy ever. Like, yes. you, part of you almost roots for him because he's just so yes. funny. But then you don't because Bruce Willis is so much fun. Like, yeah. he is so great. Like, thank God they had a great performance at a Willis here. Because otherwise, I think Guardians would be like, who am I rooting for? I'm rooting for Rickman. Like, right. Like, thank God, because Willis, it, it stacks up just as much. It's, there's such great adversaries. This movie is so strong. So then for her, it's like, eh. even like um, Ellis. I love Ellis. Hart, uh, yeah. Hart was it? Hart yeah. Bachner. Uh, he's coked out of his mind. <laughs> yes. He's a sleazy asshole. <laughs> he is. I love the scene when um, when Hans kills him. Oh, yeah. That phone Hans. Scene. Bubby. I mean, <laughs> which I guess is ad libbed, which is great. Um, it's it's great. That's a great scene. It's yeah. terrifying. It's funny. It does everything. It has everything going for it. Great performances. So like, you have a lot of guys in this movie doing some really fun stuff and are really fun to watch. Even oh, I love uh, was it Rude, Goodenough, the uh, the ballet dancer Alexander Goodenough, 
Uh, he plays like the, he's the guy, the last guy he gets killed in the movie. Yeah. You have Clarence Gilliard Jr. plays like the cyber, uh, the cybernetic, the cyber Troy is guy. his name, I think in this uh, movie. No, not, uh, what's I his I don't believe so. Um, Shit. I forget it now, but it doesn't really matter. Theo, sorry. Theo, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, and he's great. Argyle. I love Argyle. Yeah. I, so you have some, like some really great supporting performances. Even that guy, he wears, uh, we mentioned Paul Gleason. We mentioned the FBI guys. They're all, they're all fun. Even the guy that um, he has the cowboy boots, he takes over behind yes. the desk. Yeah. That guy's fun. He's, he's, uh, he's my Huey Lewis. Yes, he is. He's like, very, very much he's like if Huey Lewis and Paul Gleason had a kid. <laughs> <Yes>. But uh, <laughs> he's fun. Like everyone's having fun. Even like Al, like as much as that, the Carl Winslow guy, uh, Reginald Bell Johnson, I should probably should. Uh, he, he's, he's fun. Like everyone's fun. Bobby Dilly is like, ah. Yeah, she's kind of a wet noodle. Man, lighten up. Yeah. You know. Like the maid she calls is more fun than, than hers. Bobby Dilly is no fun. Like I wish they had gotten someone more fun, but I guess it doesn't work out. But I guess there's also a reason why she only does the first two. Although the first two are almost like their own thing. Because they um they brought back Reginald Bell Johnson for the second one, which yes. I'm sure we're gonna cover. They brought back William Oh William uh was it William Atherton? He played he was in Ghostbusters, he plays the TV reporter here, the anchor man. Oh yeah, who she who she knocks out at the end. Yeah, like yeah. that guy is a great bad guy. Yeah. Like he's he's Peck. like Peck, right. right? From Ghostbusters. Right. He's like the He's uh, awesome. Like William Zabka, of course, from Karate yeah. Kid and yeah, all those yeah. movies. Yeah. Like this is like the adult version. Like he just right. plays a sleazy guy, like, but he's great. You always like to see him in movies. Um, and he's, he, but he's in the second one as well. That's right. But then you never see him again. Because he's on the same flight, I think, with uh, yeah. the second one. Which yeah, which is that's probably right. stupid. Yeah, that's, that's stupid, yeah. But yeah, I know. That's, uh, I, I'm curious when we run into that because I, I remember that movie as being quite a disappointment. Yeah, but I remember right, liking the we third both, one. The a third lot. one's good. And I haven't seen any beyond that, so. I have, I've seen the fourth, uh, live free or die hard. I think is the fourth one. I've seen right. that one. I don't think, I think there was a, a fifth one. Even I believe that, you're right. Yeah, and I did not them. see that. We, we might hit all of them. Yeah, they all did. Well, I mean, yeah, they yeah, all, I think we're yeah. at least number one for once. I believe, uh, right. and die hard two, obviously and die hard three made a lot of money. Die hard three made like a show of money. I also want to say that the music in this movie is awesome. Michael Kamen, right? Do you know what he did? He took Beethoven's ninth symphony. Cause it's playing at the party. So the ode to joy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And turns it like minor and slow when the terrorists take over. Oh, it's awesome. Like you don't even- It's so you, good. You'd have, to, you'd, you'd have to think about it to recognize what oh, it is. It's oh. just so haunting. But he does other versions of it throughout he the movie does. too. He also does um, uh, Winter Wonderland. He does, what was the other one he does? Um, oh, then the dream by the fire. Oh, no, 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 no. Walking into Winter Wonderland. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah. So he, he takes these carols and makes them dark and oh, creepy. Yeah. And you wouldn't necessarily- no, he, do, he doesn't do it in a very over-the-top no. way. It's just in a subtle, creepy way. I think he does an awesome Super job with the, with the score. Oh, icon, awesome job. Iconic score. Yeah. Absolutely. Great job there. This movie is a masterwork. The cinematography, the directing, the acting, the score, just down the line, like, it's, it's, just, it's just really, even the costuming is really on point. Like, everything in this movie is so, is perfect. Like, I got, other than, like, Bonnie Bedelia, and I might trim some stuff in the second act, this is a perfect movie. Like, this is, like, this is about as good as it gets. I, 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 I mean, I, I don't have a lot of compl- And it's not easy. Actions have consequences in this movie. Ellis fucks up, bites off more than he can chew, gets shot in the face. Like, it's- even, even our hero. Even our hero. Like, um, so, everything is, if the script, the script, we haven't talked enough about that. Oh, so That's good. a masterwork. Yeah. Um, because everything pays off. The, he, the first guy we meet uh, tells him, take his shoes off. And that, is it, it does. He he does it. Doesn't. You know, it works. But then it, it ends up cursing the entire <laughs> yes, movie. Right. Right, poor Bruce Willis running around barefoot. Right. But like every single thing, every cause has an effect. It's a really like sound script. There's not. It's it's really precise. 
It's almost like Hans Gruber wrote the script. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like that. Like right, because the timing everything is right. like perfect. Yep. It's like clockwork. Uh, it's re- it's just it's just such an effective film. It's so good. It's it, I, I'm sure everyone listening has seen Die Hard. I, I, I do like, I know the, we talked about it a little bit, the Christmas thing is a bit of an eye roll, but I am happy it's still in our zeitgeist. Like, I'm happy this movie is still, like, I, I should rewatch the, um, the advanced auto parts commercial, like, uh, yeah. which actually is kind of fun. Argyle's in it, yeah. and then um, Theo's in it. Yeah. Of course, Bruce Willis. But, like, it's just, these characters are such a joy to watch. It's fun to visit with them. And I think that's why this movie holds up so well is because all these characters are so unique and interesting it's fun it was fun to watch this again it was fun i've seen this movie fuck like 20 times probably i've seen oh for me it's like i'd say 50 to 100 like i've seen this a lot i've actually probably sat down and watched it like from beginning to end at least 30 or 40 times yeah it's just something i've watched like every year i just really enjoy it it's just really precise but it's fun to watch it again i just it's just it's just a really well executed film. Like this is why get, movies are great. I'm glad it didn't get buried because some of the other movies we've Me covered too. in this time period have, and it's sad. And some don't don't hold up. They just like don't. 80s stuff, right? You know, but like you know, I know the Christmas movie. I know, but like Home Alone uh, holds up. Um, this is obviously a much better movie than Home Alone. Yeah, I'm not trying, to, but the comp beyond the Christmas thing is they're just effective story. Like it's just it's but but like but it's doing what it's supposed to do and it does it really well. It's really effective. This genre has not held up. No, that's the issue. Like, so there's, you know, well, what is action movies nowadays? It, it's all the fast um, and furious. Yeah. Either fast and furious or superhero movies. Yeah. That's yeah. It. I think that's what happened. I think the superhero movies cannibalized the, um, action movie as we, as we knew it. But well, I think, I mean, when did the, but the nineties, when did like, Seagal have, I mean, kind of 80s, early nineties, early early 90s 90s it, it stopped. Well, independent film. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. that made it. So, all right, we can make a movie on a like Van Damme did like seven of them and then it was over. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're a studio, you're like, all right, we can make, you know, I can make a $30 million movie. And if I market it the right way, it can make real money, win some awards, potentially you're just, you're just, just be successful. Uh, or I can make a, you know, a really expensive movie. That's a risk. What if it's like cutthroat Island, we was talking about that, yeah. you know, Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard too, but like that movie was a real poison pill for a lot of, so it was Waterworld to an extent, even though we talked about it, it did make its did money make back. Money. Yeah. That was, you know, we still saw action movies in eyes. Don't be wrong. We saw True Eyes, right? Yep. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, but that's Cameron. I know, and he's got a budget. Know, of, yeah. of course, we saw uh, Titanic. You know, T two. You know, yeah, sure. We saw we saw you know, it was all Cameron. I know, but we did see some action movies in the nineties. But you're right; they kind of petered out. And then by the two thousands, we did see like a return to them. But by then, that was also when Star Wars, Had Phantom come Menace comes out right, in ninety nine. So you got a lot more sci fi. So yeah, and like franchise. Yes. And like you know, and it becomes like that. And then obviously, by the twenty tens, it's all franchise. It's all you get now. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, you know, y- yeah, they kind of, The Rock, though, is probably the biggest movie s- star right now, right? Like, I mean, People I keep saying know, that, I get, but I, I, maybe I just don't see a lot of his well, movies. Well, movies make money. Yeah. I mean, they, they, right. and they, yeah. they're action movies. Like, you know, yeah. they all, I mean, yeah. like, you can't yeah. do anything else. Yeah. So that's a, it's a good example. Like, so when The Rock isn't tough anymore, when he's, you know, he's, he's already kind of an older guy, but when he's like really old, he's like, this, when he's a point where he's not threatening anymore, like, he's not going to, He's not going to win Academy Awards. No, he's not going to have. He's going to just vanish. Well, and he doesn't. Or even, he'll do direct to video. He'll never look like an everyman either. He's a huge guy. That's I a problem mean, too. It'll never work. Right. So he'll have some sort of bit part in a movie. And that's what that's what kind of killed Schwarzenegger. Like, yeah, like, Schwarzenegger. Like, because what old guy? He just looks weird. What old guy looks like him? It doesn't make no any one. sense. But right, Paul Newman or you know Robert Redford or some of these other guys or uh, even Tom Hanks. Now I know Tom Hanks movies haven't done as well, but he's thought he he's been nominated for Academy Award a couple of years yeah. ago, Mr. Rogers. So like right he right you that's a really good point like if you're an action star you can look weird and super like like when you're seventy just looks strange you do doesn't make any sense I mean even Stallone's probably the only one that that's kind of uh, transitioned into an older adult 
I know. Action film. He's still doing, you know, he, was, he did another Rocky movie did, did when he was probably of, 60, right? He's pretty old. Rocky Balboa or the two creeds? Um, no, Rocky, but when he was boxing. The yeah, last one that was did. weird though. Like, it was weird. Was about, but I mean, still, I like that movie because we all said Rocky, yeah. Rocky Balboa was my favorite yeah, right. movie character ever. But then he did Rambo again too. He's done. He did. You're right. He's like, he's been able to do it. I know, but I think he's the exception, not the rule. Exactly. I think he's, he's kind of the only one. Exception. And he I, does look weird. It does. Yeah. But Even when he's super like, ripped. Like Willem Dafoe, right? So Willem Dafoe, obviously we talk about him in Platoon. Yep. You know, me and Matt really respect him. We think he's a great actor. He can still find work because he looks like an everyman, right? And he's also just really talented. We talk about Anthony Hopkins. Like, um, you know, the, the, if you're a good actor, I think, I think if The Rock or... I think Bruce Willis is a good actor, but the, he is. He got, got kind of weird. I don't know. The Rock or Seagal or Van Damme, if those guys were great actors, maybe they could have their career be longer. Because Seagal would look normal. He doesn't look like a big boof. He doesn't look like Schwarzenegger. He doesn't look like a Van Damme. He's not, no. you know, he was, it wasn't that. Well, the Rock. A, Rock's so big. He's so big. Frank is a wrestler. But so, yeah, so Seagal looks normal, but he's, he's just such a he's shit a actor. actor. And he's, also, he's also a horrible man to work. Yeah. to work with uh Seems everyone on snl says the absolute worst host in snl history is steven seagal <laughs> i guess he was a complete just just complete <laughs> asshole like that you know in the, whatever 50 year right. there's no one more like i think he won michael's banned him from the show after he's on him once <laughs> like he's he's known as like the biggest asshole like him i guess of chevy chase yeah right. <laughs> who's on the show but like another like just monster to deal with during rehearsals just yeah. like not a good guy um yeah, I know. Bruce Willis's career is 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 sad. But, uh, you know, it's a, interesting. Alan Rickman, though, he worked until he died because he's a great actor. And he, he, didn't. he didn't need to get by on being a tough guy. No. He got by on being a smart guy. Yeah. And very intelligent on screen. Rickman just exudes brilliance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very believable in this role. Where a weaker actor, you'd never buy this. But I didn't, for one question, I didn't for one second question Hans Gruber. No way. I totally bought in. Absolutely. And a lot of it is McTiernan and DeBont. Because they set the mood. And then those guys knock out of the park. Like they put the ball in the tee and those guys swing. So it's, this is a masterwork. I mean, there's, there's no other way to put it. You feel how much pain oh. that McLean is going through. Oh. Like I, I think about even just the scene of him. Uh, so he's going down these like air shafts and shit. And yeah. he like, he, he uses the gun, wedges the gun in so he can let himself down with a gun strap down the, kind of the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm. And then it has to like, jump over you know there's probably a, 200 feet below him and he's gonna fucking die jump over to get to a fucking other conduit and, and he misses the one he, he wants to get the to one he wants to get yeah. to you feel like you feel the pain or him with his his feet well that is the, that might, glass that, out of his feet that might be the best scene in the movie. oh it's so awesome um, shoot the glass and then but no but him just alone in the bathroom like oh, talking that, oh, that, that one that one that one yeah and like he's picking glass out of his feet oh. and that is such a brilliant thing to have in a movie because we've all had everyone's hurt their toe or whatever. Even if you stub your toe, feet are just like super sensitive. Like yeah. it's just like your feet and all of us, like, I don't, I don't know about you. I've watched the movie a million times. Every time he picks glass, I, I it's wince. the worst. Yeah. It's just like, and it's, it's just, it's just so well, you know, Willis sells it. Yeah. You buy it. He, you know, he's picking glass out of his feet and it's a small, you know, it's funny. We see guys get shot all the time in action movies. Matt yep. and I are in our forties. We grew up with action movies. Like we've seen guys get, you know, Everything happened in horror movies, whatever. Yeah. Bruce Willis picking glass out of his feet might be like the, the <laughs> number one, like most like, oh no, like one of the most painful things I've seen. It's funny how that works like that. Like yeah. those little things like, uh, brilliant. I just, just a brilliant thing by McTiernan to have in there. Great script. Yeah. I'm going to get the writers the script here. There's, they're, they're, 
so one of the writers there, uh, I'm sorry, I forget his name. I'm looking it up here. I'm sorry. It's Jeb Stewart and Steven D'Souza. Jeb Stewart helped write another movie. I think we both like a lot. The Fugitive. Right. So this is a guy, no, another one. That's one of my top action movies. Yeah. That guy just knows how to write an action movie. Yeah. The Fugitive. I, I, I forgot. That's, a, that's, that's in, in that argument. Speed, The Fugitive. Because I don't know. Do you, it's not the same. Are Raiders of the Lost Ark? Is that, are those action movies? Yes, they are, right? Yeah. I got to put Last Crusade in that argument then too. I think Last Crusade and probably Temple of Doom are both action. I don't know about Raiders as much. Oh, come on. You, you think it's as, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, you, you go when you got to go all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, those are, I think so. that's in my top tier. Adventure? I know, right? Because it's just a little more, this one is just. But The Fugitive, Speed, and Die Hard are all like that, like holy trinity maybe of like action movies, which are just straight action movies, not adventure, not franchise. Yeah. Because I guess you know, th- those three, I think, stand. Like Jaws is a thriller. It's yeah. not an action movie, Yeah, I would call right? it an action. Yeah. So like, that's the thing is the action is, if you, it's probably more narrow. You can't do better than this one. Great movie. A. A minus. Great. Anything else uh, with uh, Die Hard? No. Red, red wine, UB40. So this song's not good, right? Um, it's not. Like, help me out with this one. It's not bad. All right. Because like, okay, so I liked this song as a kid, right? Because Diamond as a little kid. Yeah. Okay. Well, the song itself is an amazing song. The Neil Diamond version? Yeah. yeah well, not just that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, all right. But like, I didn't know. Like, so I, I kind of like UB4. I never had any of their, I had some of their singles, like the cassette singles, but I never had their like, oh, but then I, you know, now I listen to it when I'm in my 40s, I'm going through their stuff. I'm like, oh, these are all, obviously all cover songs. And they're like, some of them are just, it's just like kind of like lame reggae. Like, this isn't good, right? Well, so they do, this is their, okay. This is off of their fourth album called Labor of Love. This is so weird too, yes. So Labor of Love is their fourth album. The first three albums are a lot more dub reggae. In fact, like they're doing stuff like, this. What's that sound like to you? Sound like Andy Summers to you? Not Summers. Uh, does that sound like the police to you? That's, oh, yeah, it does. Police yeah. yeah, it does. So, right. so right. they're doing like more experimental so what is, what reggae. Is it dub, right? What does that mean? Dub is a more stripped down reggae, usually slower, that uses a lot of effects. So it makes it more spacey. Bigger verbs, echoes, delays, all that. When you were a kid, you ever, like, I remember when I was a kid, it, when I moved to New Hampshire, you were your main people go, you're a dubba. No, no one ever said that to me. What's, what's no? that mean? I think, it's like a main, I think it's like a main thing. You're a like, dubba? You're, you're a dubba. I think it means like you're like an idiot or Fred, something. Uh, was it not Fred Gwynn? Was it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did his better. Uh, you're a dubba. Yeah. Uh, he would yeah, say but, something but like that. But I never got called a dubber in uh, why do New I, York. Why do I always forget the drummer of the police's name? It's not Andy Summers. Stuart it's Copeland. Stuart Copeland. Andy Summers, the guitar player. That's, I get them mixed up all the time too. You know, I just, uh, just a, name. anyone who's not staying. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. No, it does sound like it does. That's sound a like, co- like it, it does sound like very Copelandish. Right. Yeah, because yeah. um, that's the style that they were Bad listening police, to but, for the police. Yeah. They were there. That's the that's that's the style that they were they were trying they were doing. I mean, a different right. version of that. Um, but anyway, so UB40 is this reggae band. 
But every once in a while, they decide to do a cover album. They've done four of them. The first, so this one, Red Red Wines, off of the the um, the first one called Labor of Love. It came out in 1983. Love, one, two, three, and four. It came out in 1983. Just, just, and this just version makes no sense to me, by the way. But okay, this version charted then. It hit like 34 on the on the Hot 100. It hit right. pretty high on, on the British chart. Okay. What happened? What? But it. But okay. So that so they play for Nelson Mandela's birthday okay. in '88. And some DJ heard it and right. was like, holy shit, that's a great song. Some like DJ in Phoenix or something. So he starts spinning it and it gets popular. They, the record company releases it again and it goes one. Isn't that weird? It's super weird. It doesn't make any sense. And it's like the perfect timing for them too because they have their next album ready to go out. Oh. Which is another cover album. It's their second cover, right. Labor of Love 2, the following year. And is that the one that has the Elvis one? No, that happens That's in 93 on, right? from Silver, yes. okay. from Sliver, right? They, they, they played in that movie. Yep. Um, That's no, the single I had. No, but, but I know, but they were ha- getting radio play from Red, they were getting Red Red Wine and then the, and two other singles that hit top 10 from Labor of Love, uh, volume two, which is the way you do the things you do. Yep. All right, the way you do the things you do. And here I am, baby. Right. Come and take me, take me. Right. Those two are from the next album. Um, that also were charting at the same time. So I liked those songs when they came out. Yeah. But I was dumb. I didn't know that there was original. Like, I, I, that's what I thought. I thought they were like, these guys are these great songwriters. So Neil Diamond is one of the best songwriters that has ever lived. I love Neil Diamond. He is he is such an amazing writer. Shiloh, Cracklin' Rosie. He's good. He's good. He's very good. He's great. He's great. The no, older he's, I get, the more I appreciate him. He's that great. I saw him live and he was so well, terrible. I got to get that out of my mind. I know. He's old. He has, there's a live also, show. I'm also so sick of Sweet Caroline. That's not his fault. Oh, that's not his fault. That was a good song the first time I heard it. It was. Not, I can't, I can't stand it either. The Red Sox ruined that for us. Yeah. The crowd is so stupid so when annoying. they shout, so good, so good. It's not in the fucking song. Stop Uh-oh. saying that stupid thing, you fucking idiot audience. I wow. hate them when they do it. I, oh, when I used audience. to go to Red Sox game, the, yeah, right. What's the producers the calling uh, crowds audiences? <laughs> Strange go-to. Uh, right. <laughs> so, Matt's all mad. Look at Matt's all fired up. I was up. thinking of the concert. Um, no, they're so bad. Every time they did that, I'd want to, I really want to smack the people. No, Neil, Neil Diamond is someone, is, is good. I should give him more respect. I don't care. And this is. It hurts. And these lyrics are so good too. Listen to the lyrics. Red wine, red, red wine goes to my head. Makes me forget that I still need her so. Red, red wine, it's up to you. All I can do, I've done. Memories won't go. I'd have sworn that with time, thoughts of you leave my head. I was wrong. Now I find just one thing makes me forget red wine. It's beautiful. It's a good song. It's awesomely written. And they didn't know that they were ripping off. I know, I read that. It's crazy. They thought they were covering. Which is awesome. Tony Tribe. They did this in the 60s. So good. This is better, yeah. Way better. Yeah. He just has soul in his voice. He like, he's hurting. So why did you be, oh, we feel so like they good. needed to rip this song? Like, you know well, what I mean? Like, this guy's doing reggae. I, I don't get you. I think I'm down on you 40 Okay. This is what their artistic side wants that wants to do dub, but they're like, we're not going to sell. We're not going to get any radio play if we just do that. So we'll do covers every four albums or so. And it will also promote reggae to the world because more people will hear it. I, go with that. I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. Well, that's what they said. I know. That's I know. what they that's said. That's a lie. It's for the money. Probably. How many albums do you think UB40 has sold? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, 12 million. 70. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> 70 million records, dude. What? 70 million. Why? I just, because they're just such a crossover. You can throw them in at parties. Uh, they're, they're big overseas, right? That's got to be yeah, worldwide. I, mean, I, bet, I bet they're they're not that big. They're not as big. They must be bigger in other countries. I don't know how many you know they've sold in the United States. Right, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they must be. They've had 50 singles, a bunch of top 10s all around yeah, the world. Yeah, but they haven't had 50 singles like in America. No, but they must have like, had. Like they had. I think they've had at least five or six that have that have five yeah, or six that I mean, charted. Like, yeah, because they had the Elvis. You're right. Can't right. help falling in love. The other two you mentioned, and then this one, and then and then there was one before one of their first singles. But like earlier that's, on, seventy million, dude. That's crazy. They're not good. The problem is oh. all of their all of their uh, all their hits and everything that's charted. All these albums, these cover albums, the songs all sound the same. Oh, they do. They're kind I know. of the same yeah. tempo. He's, he's got a very peculiar voice and it's mixed a certain way. They yeah. just all sound the same. But if you listen to like their earlier stuff, it doesn't sound like this pop stuff. It's very different. Did you see what happened with him when they broke up? Um, so, so no, the, what happened? So the, this is funny. This is weird. So, the bro, so there's, two, there's the, the guy that His we brothers, know. Yep. Right, the lead uh, singer is the yeah. guy. What's it? I'll, I'll find his name. Ali, yeah. Ali, maybe. Yeah, it's Ali something. Whatever. So the brother. So, but his older brother was originally the singer, and then he didn't want to do it or something. So, so Al, the guy that we know, the UB40 guy that we know, Ali, let's say, he becomes the lead singer for whatever for thirty years. So then he quits the band, and then the brother takes over. Yeah. But Ali is so pissed off. Ali Campbell. Yeah, Ali Campbell's like, I've listened to my brother murder the songs I've worked so hard on for ten years. So he formed another band with two other guys that had broken off from the band right. as well. And they went and toured on their own. But he didn't say all these nasty things to say about his brother. But then his poor brother, this guy, he had a stroke and had to, oh. he had to quit the band. And then somebody else replaced him. So, like, I just imagine, it. I wonder if this guy's still dogging his brother. Like, I hope not. I hope they've rekindled their, I know, me their too. brotherly relationship. That's terrible. Take I mean, this. and he left, Ali left anyway. Yeah, why are you trashing your brother like that? The other thing is- Shouldn't they, he be happier with it too? Yes, you? because they were they together- I like very much. You probably. were right, they were together for 30 years yeah. too. Like they had, their original lineup was 30 years. Like that's brother. a good run. That's a shitty thing to do. That's a good run. You were sick of it. You were done. You wanted yeah, to go do something. Okay. You had a solo album. Let your brother fucking sing the songs. That's, he was doing it as a tribute to you anyway, probably. I don't know, those guys don't sound like they get along very good. That's too bad. Yeah. This guy, Ali Campbell's got eight kids too. Yeah. That's a shit ton. That's a lot of kids. This is very active. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. UB40, two thumbs down. Yeah, I don't need to. I'm done with that. I don't really need to listen to them. There's, there's not much there anymore. They have another one. We might hit their other song. Those other two. Oh, they can't help falling in love. Yeah. We might hit the other two from this next album as but well. But they did number one, though. I mean, you could you can pick those. Oh, yeah, I could get but away when, But they did have another. You know, it's funny. I put them. I was thinking about this. I put them in Fine Young Cannibals, like in the same like yeah. part of my brain. Both had two number one hits. Both were popular around the same time. But it's funny. Like, I went back. Last week, and we we revisited Fine Young Cannibals, and me and you both walked away kind of blown away with how good yeah, they were. Yeah, they're so good. It's like, oh shit! Oh, they came from the English Beat, which yep. is a great band. This album's killer. It, we both walked away really impressed. Yes. Oh, so I was kind of excited. I'm like, oh cool! Like you be forty. Oh, like, I knew going in. Oh no, I, I knew oh, going in. I was naive, but I felt like we had to because. Oh no, I'm glad we did. I mean, those it's iconic for this time, right? But so we go and do that, and I'm like, oh wait, this this kind of sucks. Like I I I walked out more impressed with Fine Young Cannibals. I walked away less impressed with you be forty. Yeah, I think I'm in the same in the same spot. I got to talk a little bit about Neil Diamond. I barely ever get to talk about him. Probably most of, a lot of his stuff was in the '70s, yeah. some '80s. Forever in Blue Jeans is such a good song. It's a good song. So fucking good. Really good what was the song that was on? Um, oh, "Girl, song? You'll Be a Woman Soon" is the Pulp no, Fiction no, no, cover. No, 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 no. Close though. I had Tarantino in mind. What was the Tarantino? 
That's the urge overkill. Uh, I, I yep, like that version better. Oh, but, no. I, but I mean, Neil Diamond wrote it. I get yeah. it. Uh, no, the um, the one that was on uh, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh shit! That song's fucking great. I don't know. I'm gonna look it up. I, I, don't I, think I, I like that song it. so much. It is Why worth are you looking, looking it up? up? This is like the best section of a song. This is so good. This is great. Listen to this melody. Sick. And then he goes up. So sick. So sick. Oh, I love him. I fucking love him. Brother Loves Traveling Salvation yeah. Show. Yeah. That song is a good fucking one. awesome. Yeah, it's a good one. I didn't know it until um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. He wrote, the trailer. he wrote for great. so many other people too. He was under contract and, and like, you know, co-wrote and wrote with him for a bunch of other people when he was a young kid. He's like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, just writing hits. He's, he is a, he's a master. He's one of the best writers. I think I underrate Neil Diamond. He's so fucking good. Yeah. I love him. That's Shiloh a, is such a good song. There's so many. Um, oh, and there's a live, where did he do it? Hot Summer Night. Is that what the live album is called? Awesome. But I think it's from the 70s, and he sounds so good. He, he's a great performer. He's just old now. He's, you know, 70. Well, I saw him like 12 years ago. Still, he was old then. He was probably oh, in his no 60s. Shit. It's a terrible show. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I mean, really? you know, he's not, yeah. He was great in the 70s. Yeah, I know, I know. I shouldn't, I don't know. I, I gotta, <sighs> I know. Neil Diamond, underrated by me. I'll, I'll admit that. Okay. Yeah, I'll, okay. Give, I'll give you that one. All right, thank you. Um, anything else with, uh, that's it. I think that's it for you before D. Yeah. What, uh, what the fuck were you doing? You so I, I thought I'd talk another Chris with his dad story, uh, a little bit, but, um, I mean, I saw Die Hard. I mean, I have to talk about it. It was, it was one of those like just iconic moments, probably one of like the best moments I had that year. Just like, uh, so I went with my dad to work a lot. Uh, I think more than most kids. Um, I heard Kirk Minahan talking about it on KMS um a couple weeks ago how he went with his dad to work like once a year yeah, it's kind a year. of an exciting thing is that what you did too like did you ever go with your stepdad every, or your- uh my dad every once in a while okay but not for i don't know if i ever went to he worked for um a uh uh this he worked in this mill in manchester selling um computer chips oh. and uh was he like so a salesman like, or was he like a manufacturer he was a sales guy okay all right and so i don't think he spent a lot of time in there, but I remember being in his office. I remember knocking over. I was walking downstairs, not this very long fluorescent light. Yeah. And it like, it was leaned up against the stairs. It was stupid. It was probably like 12 feet tall. Oh my God. Shattered everywhere. There was a guy named, uh, there was a guy named Bert who worked there. And so of course my catchphrase was, Hey, where's Ernie? He, he did not like that. He, he, he fucking hated me. Why? He didn't play along with that? No, he didn't. I was, I was like three or four. Oh, it was bullshit. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I knocked that over. But it was in, it was in a bad spot. That's funny. It was like right up against the railing of the staircase. Oh, what'd your dad do? He was he was fine. I mean, he knew it was just a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I uh, I went my I, so my dad worked uh, obviously in New York City. We talked about that before. How yep. he was a stagehand. Um, and I would go in a lot. Uh, I want to say I know we're in. October. Idiot. Yeah. But like Die Hard was in the movie theaters forever that summer. It came out in the summer. I know people say Christmas movie, but it actually came out in the summer. And I'm sure I saw it in the summer. I went with my dad to work more in the summer, obviously, because I was out of school. Yeah. Um, and I would go a lot of times when he had two shows. So uh how Broadway works is twice a week. I think it was Wednesday and Saturday. Um, because I didn't think they were dark on Mondays or Tuesdays. Um, and uh they would have a show, like a matinee, obviously, and then there's a break. And then they would have the, the, the night show, you know, yeah, just yeah, what you'd yeah. expect. Yeah. Uh, but there's a pretty long break between a matinee and the evening show. 
um, enough time to go see a movie to go grab, to go grab uh, like an early dinner. Um, which is what we did. Yeah. So whenever I went in and this is Times Square back in 1988, which is a very different place than it is now. Um, for instance, uh, on more than one occasion, I was uh, walking with my dad. I'm an eight-year-old boy. I was propositioned by hookers. <laughs> you want a good time tonight, honey? Uh, it was it was just bad. Like there was an arcade right down. Uh, so I'd go hang out there and, you know, you'd, you know, you'd have everyone in there brother you know trying to sell you drugs or trying to sell my dad drugs or yeah. trying, you know just it was just a place to sell drugs to sell your body you know if you're a prostitute uh but it also had arcades so you have kids there it was this weird mix um there was a lot uh obviously homeless population was through the sure. roof and back then in the 80s i'm sure you, as you can imagine the late 80s there was a lot of uh vietnam war veterans who um uh just you know whether it be some mental illnesses, maybe that weren't diagnosed properly, you know, some PTSD stuff. Um, there's a lot of that. So you'd see a ton of Vietnam veterans or people in like camo or, uh, with the signs up. So it was a, it was definitely a sad, bizarre place. Um, not the Times Square now is so corporate. corporate this is before yeah. that was there. Right. This is, um, right before, you know, 88, 89, 87 is right before it kind of turned. Um, but we would often go see movies and um, my dad loved action movies. Uh, and there was, uh, there were, there still are a couple movie theaters right in Times Square. Um, uh, so what we would do is we would, you know, we go and, and, um, and go catch, go catch a movie. We'd go catch uh, and we caught Die Hard. And it was such a memorable experience for all the reasons I just mentioned, but um, to, to get out of there, to, to, to be there with my dad watching the movie was so much fun. It's a rated R movie. I'm eight. Right. And on top of it, it's just wall to wall action. Like you just left, like you were just like out of breath, but then, uh, you know, then you go back up and you catch the, the night show. It was pretty cool. Like people there were great. I've talked before. My dad worked at a show called me and my girl at Marriott Marquis. Everyone there was so nice to me. I would say I would go. No lie. Like 20 times a year, 25 times a year. I would go with my, my dad to work probably like twice a month, maybe more in the summer. I'm sure, sure. there's some months during the fall or school year, I probably wouldn't go at all, but maybe I would go like four or five, you know, five times a month in the summer um, or during a break, like yeah, school break. Right. So, um, uh, and it was cool. Like he'd go to this, you know, and I, you know, by then, you know, the show so well, you know, my dad worked there for years. So, you know, my dad worked there from 86 to 89. So you, you'd know, you hear all like, you know, you hear the orchestra when they play out, you know, then what happens is like, we're all, all the people. So some actors had dressing rooms. The Marriott Marquis, meanwhile, was a brand new uh, hotel and Broadway theater. Me and my girl was the very first show that was there. So it was cool. So everything was brand new and yeah. state of the art. So they actually had a lot of dressing rooms at the time for actors. So not every actor has a dressing room, though. So your lead actors, uh, who both won Tonys, by the way, Marianne Plunkett and Robert Lindsay. Um, Marianne Plunkett was in uh, House of Cards later on. Robert Lindsay was in, was in some other stuff, too. Um, uh, they, they obviously had their own, their own dressing room as is some of the supporting actors as well. But then you have some people that are more coarse that don't have like major parts, things like that. They might share a dressing room or they might not really have one at all. Or they might be in a kind of group area. And then you had, uh, so, and then you had all the stage hands had kind of their own space as well. Yeah. But sometimes they kind of intermingled because if you're sharing a dressing room with like five people, you want to, to kind of get more space. And the stage hand area had a lot of, had a big space. I don't know how big I'd say it was. I'd say it was, um, I think of a room everyone kind of knows that's like large, like uh, maybe the size of like like a classroom or three quarters of a classroom that you went to school in. If you went to like a normal size school, like a fifth grade class, like maybe three. So it was a pretty big space. Sure. So you had lockers. All the stagehands had their own lockers. 
Um, I think maybe some of the understudies might've had a lockers in there too. Um, or some of the really low ranking people. And you know, they had your know, vending machines, they had a TV in there. They had kind of a, kind of a basic yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, right, right. And then they, um, they had some card tables there. So all the guys play cards. And it was just kind of a cool place to just go hang out. So I'd, I'd play poker with some of the guys. Um, if, you know, if, they, if they'd let me, uh, and then I also always had my baseball encyclopedia. We talked about that. My Nefton Cohen's baseball encyclopedia. I would always have that. So when the show was going on, I would just read my baseball encyclopedia, or whatever book I was reading at the time. And then intermission, all the guys would come back by the hour, hang out, be like, Hey, how you doing? You, you know, do you want a soda? You want something? I'm like, no, I'm, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm good dead. And then, uh, and then they would all go back out again, the second act. So a lot of times I'm just sitting in this big room by myself reading a book. Sure. Um, but it was cool. I felt like a grown up. I felt it was really fun. Yeah. You were hanging out with uh, professionals. Yes. Yeah. And they were all, and I taught me a lot how to be a professional, like, especially those actors, like they're doing the same lines every day. And, but yet they were, you know, some of them were pretty big names. They won Tony's, but they still treated me like everyone treated everyone with respect. Everyone, I never once saw anyone yell at anyone. Yeah. There was never any, like, you know, you watch some of these like behind the scenes stuff. You think it's a lot of drama. It, maybe there was, if there was, I didn't see any of it. My dad never came home with any of that bullshit. It was, my dad loved working there. They were great guys. Great. The actors treated the stations with respect, never thumbed their nose down at people. Just a really good group of professionals. Exactly what it was. Yeah. And it was fun. Like my dad would typically take the line on railroad to work every day. Um, but for when he brought me, it didn't make sense to buy two tickets. So we would drive in. So we would drive in, we'd park in, I want to say we'd park in Queens because it was cheaper to park there. And we'd take the subway in. This is back in the late eighties when the subways were filled with graffiti and were kind of <laughs> yeah. scary places. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is what kind of parent my, my dad was. My dad was, was a good parent, but was like, so I think enjoyed letting me make mistakes. So uh, we're in the subway and there's nowhere to sit in the subway. Obviously you don't, you know, sometimes they have benches, but especially back then they tried not to have a ton of benches because the homeless would, then, would camp out there. So, so everybody's standing. Yeah, well, this is late at night, so there's really no one out there. Oh. This is like when we're leaving the show. So think about it. it's like midnight on like sure. a Wednesday nights. So there yeah, wasn't a ton of people there, right. but they were like big pillars, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, like it was like a little damp on the floor, but like the pillar, I just leaned against this pillar. I'm sitting there, I'm talking to him. We're talking about five minutes. My dad says, you know, the reason that's damp is probably some homeless guy pissed on it. <laughs> Shouldn't lean on pillars, Chris. But I've been sitting there for like five minutes. And he has a smirk the entire <laughs> exactly. time. But it's like I learned a lesson. Yeah, you know. So now you know. Don't don't lean on pillars in this. In this, you know. <laughs> it's like especially if it's damp. Like think about it. Yeah. But he let me like kind of sit there for a while and really kind of own that piss before, <laughs> before he had me move. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, but the, like you know, it was just fun just hanging out with my dad. I mean, my dad worked crazy hours. You know, because you know he think about it, he'd go in. Uh, you know, if you're working at like say a, a typical like Thursday night, right? The show comes up at seven, but he's got to get there at five, right? And then you know to set up and, and get stuff ready. Yeah. But then he, that means he's got to leave the house at like two or three. But I've already gone. I'm already at. So by the time he got to school, he's already gone. Yeah. And he, didn't get, he didn't get home. He you know he attached the Island Railroad train home. I remember he'd always come home at eleven twenty seven if the train was on time. He'd pull into the driveway, and uh, and he would you know he was just happy to see me. So that's why I would watch a lot of late night TV. I mean, I grew up with Johnny Carson. I grew up with, you stay out to hang out. You'd stay up to yeah. Hang out. I mean, yeah. I'd sit in bed, but I want to see my dad. So yeah. I would stay up late. Plus I'm a night owl anyway. So I'd yeah. be like, all right. But then I, you know, I would, he, my dad, I just hang out my dad. We watched Carson and then he hadn't seen me all day. And he's like, and we were like buddies. So he'd be like, Oh, like I then I'd watch Letterman. He would never tell me to go to bed or he would, but it'd probably be really late. Like maybe when Letterman was like half over, he'd be like, you probably should go to bed. Yeah. But like, I was like, all right, I didn't want to go to bed. I want to have my dad. So I'd, I'd fight as long as I could. Right. But then I'm like tired. Then when it probably wasn't the best, like, yeah, but I mean, you also got a lot of, you got a lot more time with your dad than you would have if you went to bed on time. Right, and I think about that too. It's like, all right, well, you know. It's way worth it. Especially like, you know, he's dead by the time of 15. So it's like, all right, it was probably good I had those moments. Absolutely. Like, I think in hindsight, it's probably good I was tired for for third grade or whatever. Right. But I, I don't know if it was the most consistent upbringing or the most, you know, it was never, 
yeah, there's some nights where I don't, I want to say there weren't too many times, in fact, almost never, where I would go with my dad to work and go to school the next day. Like, they at least were good about that. Like, all right, I go to work with my dad. I'd almost have like that Sunday off. Yeah, right. Or, you know, if it was Wednesday, I would never go to school on a Thursday. You know what I mean? It would have to be, I had to be off from school. So they were good about that. But oh my God, there were so many nights where I stayed up and I got my dad. I mean, it's a unique lifestyle when you, number one, live in New York City, but in number two, your your dad's in some sort of performing arts or, you know, or supporting performing arts. That That's a way different- It was very different. Lifestyle. Yeah, because I mean, I'm in Long Island, right? And all my parents' friends, a lot of them work in the city. Almost everybody in Long Island, yeah. everyone wants to be known. You know, a good portion of them all work in the city, but they would all work from, you know, nine to five. Yeah. And they'd be home by 6.30 and then they would have dinner as a family. Like we didn't have that most nights. Um, so you're right. It was very unusual, even among my friends. Um, it was a strange lifestyle. Um, but it's what he knew. He wasn't, he wasn't super educated and, um, he was good at it and it brought home a really good paycheck cause it was crazy hours. And, and he, by then he had been doing it for 15, 16 years. And it sounds like a more fun story in life than some corporate job. I mean, I- it was, I think he had some regret, like not spending more time. I think that's why we moved to Hampshire. I think he right. was like, plus the, it was just taking a toll on him. I think he's just like, eh, what am I doing this for? I'd rather, I think, you know, at some point he kind of, but you know, it provided for us for a long time. It, you know, he oh, he always told me not that I had to, I could never do it. I'm too scrawny. But he's like he's like, you know, if you ever become a station, I'll kill you. So he was it was always off the table. He was for dead. Me. He was dead set against for you. Oh yeah, he told me yeah. I was like three or four. But like, if you yeah. ever come to station, I'll kill you. Yeah. Um, he never wanted that life for me. Yeah. And my uncle told his kids the same thing. They never wanted it for their kids. So like I don't know, but I think I don't think they like hated it. Like I think it was like an ends to a mean potentially for some of them. But hopefully they took pride in it. I mean they. I think they, they did. They probably set up some really amazing shows and had some really cool experiences yeah. and some really cool people. I think my yeah. uncle appreciates it. My uncle's now is he's 70, almost 70 now. So I think he appreciates it. Now looking back, he's old enough to have it in the room. My dad, when he had, he's 42, he'd only been away from it for five years. He still had it. It was like, Oh, fuck that. Like he yeah. still had that kind of like, Oh, huh. no thanks. Yeah. But I think he had a good longer. I think he would have had that. Like, Oh, it's kind of cool. Well, oh, you, burn out, nice. you burn out with that type of stuff. I think of course, that makes sense. I think you do. Yeah. And I think you need time away from it to appreciate it. Um, but it was cool. I mean, I loved going to the city. My dad, we go to a cool, cool bookstore in the city that we didn't have on, on the island. We would go and have crazy, like interesting meals. My favorite memory of my dad, uh, hot dog cart. We, we, my, you know, I go to the hot dog cart. My dad, my dad's like, let's go to hot dog. Hot dog cart goes, I know you. I said, you do? What? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're the guy. You're the kid in the picture. I'm like, what? And I guess my dad would always show, he's so proud of his family. He'd always show the hot dog guy. Oh, picture. really? Yeah. Oh, that's really pretty sweet. Cool memory, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. I know you. Yeah, he knew me. I was like, oh, that's pretty oh. cool. That's pretty neat, right? Yeah, so uh, that's, so I have stuff like that. Like, to see my dad with his peers was really yeah, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No way that kids still get to go to that stuff anymore, do you think? That's a good question. I hope, so the cool thing was if stagehands were, they were all a union, it was a local one, and they were all part of a fraternity. Yeah. You know, no, not a real one, but they, I know. they were, they were brothers. They really were. They all, because they, you know, think about what they're doing physically. You have to trust that guy. He's going to. He might be life or death for you. If you're hanging from a wire, you know, 10 stories high, especially the music hall, even higher than that. If that guy, if you fall or if you're not, if the guy tells you the wrong step, you're fucked. Yeah. So they really did a guy for sure. And it was like, and I think they liked having, because especially Broadway show, it's the same thing every day. I'd come in, it was a, kind of a big deal. I think mean, because it was just, it was something different. Like, you know, it wasn't like that was a big deal, but it was just like, oh, wow, like cool. But I think- and I was always pretty well behaved, you know, for most of that time, I was an only child. My sister wasn't born until I was seven. So I think they were like, eh, like it was, I, I behaved myself. I kind of acted like a little adult. So I think I, at least I, I hope I did. That's how I remember it. Um, I might not, you know, kids always remember behaving better than I think we actually did. Maybe, I don't know. 
but I hope I was well behaved. No one ever yelled at me. Yeah. I think it was something different. I think that would be unique. I think most kids would. You'd have a tantrum here and there. You'd have a, you know, a fight or you'd have a... Maybe. They made it fun for me though. My dad was like good about that. Like he's like, all right, you know, I know this is like, like, you know, hey, I got to do the second, but then we'll go watch the movie. And he'd throw me a paper and be like, what movie do you want to see? You know, just make sure you pick the one that's near Times Square. Like, all right. And we pick it and be like, hey, this one looks, you know. Um, So he was good about that. Like it was always just like, it was fun. Like I'm sure you were well behaved. I just think. I think so. Probably that doesn't always happen. Maybe, or maybe the stagehand kids like got it too. Like, oh, oh could, like, could you be. know, like, yeah. um, no people there. Uh, yeah. Everyone, like I said, it, could, it couldn't, it was a more, t- you know, think about like what these guys, are called. you know, if they fuck up their line or whatever, or if someone drops something, like it's kind of embarrassing, right? Like it's a Broadway show. Everyone's watching you. Yeah. These guys had no, they were just like oh, another day at work. It's like, oh, that's pretty good. They were, they were pros. It was, they was professionals. A great way to put it. Cause that's really what they were. And I took a lot from that. Uh, how to behave at the workplace and stuff. So I think if you're able to bring your kid to work and you have that thing, I think that's a great thing. I think it's so important for kids to see how you make your money. And I think there's a real, I agree. Cause I like, you know, it also, yeah, I think, I think it's really good for your kids to see what you do. If you're able to do, I know I understand not every job you can do that, but if you're able to bring your kid to work and you're kind of on the fence about it, do it. Like, and they'll have memories about it. Like I'm thinking about it now. And Matt had well, a memory of you. <laughs> you, of, you, but you going think, and shit, yeah. but you'll think about it forever. Yeah. No. Yeah. But yeah. So. so yeah. So I was going to work with my dad around this time. Right on. Headlines. All right. Uh, Eck saves all four games in a championship series against the Red Sox. Right, sure First did. time it ever happened, right, in 88. And then they just go and blow up against the Dodgers yes. uh, the following week. Yeah, that 88 Red Sox team was was interesting. You know, um, so obviously they, they went to the World Series 86 and lost everyone knows. Yep. 87 was kind of a step back. 88, they went and got, they were starting, you know, they were uh, like 40 and 40. And uh, at the all-star break right around there, they fire John McNamara. They get Joe Morgan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Morgan winds up winning 48 games. They won 88 games that year. Uh, and they had an interesting staff. You had, um, you had Roger Cummins. You had Bruce Hurst still right, there. He right. got the next year for San Diego. But they went uh, half of the year and they went and got Mike Boddicker, mm. who was pretty good. And he, you know, so he had a pretty good big three. I wonder if I was, a, you know, I, 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 watched, I watched, I was mainly watching the NLCS than the ALCS that year because the Mets were in it. Right. right. But um, I wonder if some people, the A's, of course, won 100 games that year. Were, I guess, yeah. But I wonder if you're thinking, like, all right, maybe Clemens, Hurst, who, have, who had playoff experience, and then Mike Boddicker. I think he was on the 83 Orioles. So all three guys had playoff Maybe they could pull this off. Right. But obviously they, no, no. they, they got, got swept. swept. Um, so that happened. Remember and 1990? Remember that one? Who, who was it? Was it was Red Sox A's again. But the Red Sox, like, had no shot. Like, I knew going into that, like, though, they're going to get was annihilated. Was that the year the A's won? When did the A's win? The A's won in 89. 89. So what happened to the A's after they beat the Red Sox in 90? They lost to the Reds, got swept by the Reds, which blew my mind. I thought the, I thought the A's were going to sweep them. The A's were a juggernaut. You're like, oh yeah. my God, the A's can't lose. Right. But uh, no, the Reds like, like came out of nowhere and the nasty boys Rob Dibble and they had Eric Davis and Jose Rio and uh, they, they swept them. I was shocked. It was like one of the first times really like, I remember being a kid, like shocked at a sporting event. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Second thing, the uh, second Bush-Dukakis debate oh, wow. happens this week. And it's really the one where uh, Dukakis sort of loses it. Like he never really recovers from this debate. Do you remember what happened? The one to ask him what he would do if his wife was raped? Yes. What would you do? Because he's against Horton thing, he's right? A, right. He's yeah. against the death penalty. And he's asked, right, exactly that. Uh, what would you do if Kitty Dukakis is raped? Right. Which, is a, Which is a terrible question. A terrible right. question. Terrible, yes. But he answers it so shitty. No, I don't, Bernard. And I think you know that I've opposed the death penalty during all of my life. I don't see any evidence that it's a deterrent, and I think there are better and more effective ways to deal with violent crime. We've done so in my own state, and it's one of the reasons why we have 
had the biggest drop in crime of any industrial state in America. Why it's like he he sounds like such a robot. You 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 what you say is don't ask me a question like that. Of course, in the moment, as an emotional husband, I would want that guy dead. But that's not what I am. Like I'm 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 gonna be the leader of the free world. Like I can't make a decision like that. So Dukakis is a lousy candidate. Seemed it. Okay. Yeah. I gotta defend him there for a second because like I can't. Did they prep for that question? No, like, that is the worst. That is, worst. A, wild that is a wild question. A wild question. What the fuck? What happens if your wife gets raped? I mean, I would be you. That's the thing is he should have shown emotion there. He he should have been, right. like, well, he, he we'll, been like, yeah. that is a ridiculous uncalled for question. Of course, you know. Two things that sunk him. Well, a lot. One, well, there, you, three things that sunk him. One thing was he was a lousy candidate. Yes. Two was this. Yes. And three was the, the, the in the tank. Yeah. yeah. Photo operation yeah. in the tank. He's this yes. little guy. It looks ridiculous. Uh, those three things. But, but he should, I mean, he, I mean, George Bush was the vice president for eight years. I know yeah. it's, I know he's not an exciting guy. Even back then people were trying to find any excuse, maybe not to vote for him, but like Dukakis wasn't the answer. No, nope. So you know what that means then that this was, have you seen Donnie Darko? Yeah. A long time ago. Really but, good. Yeah, really good movie. Good, yeah. That means that this is when this right. October 88 is when Donnie yeah. Darko in theory takes place. Right. Very good movie, by the way. One we'll never run into in this show unless bad. someone picked it, but yeah. um, yes. Yeah, I'd like to see it again to talk about it, but uh, yeah. Uh, so that, uh, that's basically it for headlines. Yeah, in the NLCS, I will say. Mm. I talk about that. It was Dodgers-Mets, right? That's right. And uh, Dodgers won in seven games, which was shocking. No, I guess that was shocking. That was another one of those shocking things because um, the Mets were so good. I and mean, that's in, you know, 86. You know, that, that Mets team, I know they won one, but to only get to one, I mean, that team was, especially 88, then by then you had David Cohn. Yeah. That team was, yeah, Kevin McReynolds was very good. Obviously, Strawberry, you know, good and uh, wasn't as good as he was in 85. It was still decent. The Dodgers team sucked. That Dodgers team was no good. There's no business. The Oral Hershers got red hot. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little, honestly, it's like, I'm still kind of frustrated. When did the it. Cardinals win in the, in the mid 2000s? Was it like 2006 or seven? That, that was yeah. a team where they were like 87 wins and they won the World Series or something. Well, right? Yeah, they beat the Mets that year. It was, it was 2007. I was like, what? I'm sorry, 2006. No, it wasn't seven because Red Sox. Right, yeah. 2006. They beat the Mets. That was the year that they, they, Cardinals beat the Mets in seven games. Andy Chavez is a crazy cat, but then uh, El Carlos Beltran strikes out looking Adam Rainwright, uh, who just turned 40, by the way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know that the Met, I know as another example, the Mets had more talent for sure. Yeah. And should have won that series and didn't, um, the Mets had an excuse though. The starting pitching, like Pedro was like kind of banged up at the time. I only even pitched in that playoff series, but he was on the team, but the team got, the team got, was kind of banged up. That 88 Mets, that Dodger team was junk. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they beat the ace. Like that ace team was so good. I, it, that, and it was the first, it was game one, I, right? When Gibson, hit, Albert, the, uh, Gibson yeah. hit the home run, right? Yes. Uh, that two run to, they, they to win the, the game. I think won game three of that series. because I think it was four to one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I, think the, I think it was game three they won. Yeah, I, it was like, you so know. So Hurst unstoppable and he gets blown up in the first game. And I, I wonder know. if that just was a momentum shift. Oh, it was. It certainly was, of course. But like, but Hershey's was also just red hot. So that's no, true was, Remember he had that shutout run? Yeah, that's right. The record. Oh, wait, wait. Was that like 52 innings or something? 59, I think. 59 then he carried. That was that year? Yeah. Oh, it was, it was right into, It was right into the end of the season. And then he carried into the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, like, he, like so you had. I do remember. I remember that happening. That being pitching like, staff was pretty good. You had Bob Welch. Oh, no, sorry. No, Bob Welch was in the then. I'm sorry. You had uh, John Tudor was on that team. Uh, Tim Belcher was a rookie, but very good. Like, they, they, it kind of everything kind of, and obviously Gibson was MVP, but he, yeah. he only played that one game in the World Series. He was banged up. It's all, all screwed up. Like that line, you look at that line, like Mike Davis, Mike Shoster, who's a nice defensive catcher, but can't hit. Like, yeah. this team sucks. Like, right. what are they doing? It's it's frustrating. The 88 Mets team was, me in some ways, maybe more talented than the 86 team. It, it's a tough, 
They won 100 games. That team was stacked. Yeah. And they fucking lost to the Dodgers. Just, it sucks. That sucks. Because you think they would have beaten the A's. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I had Dodgers team. I, I don't know. The A's team was really good. I, I think so. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I, oh, my God. I would have lost so much money if I was gambling at eight. I would have, I would have bet so much money. You would have been on the Mets. I would have bet on anyone against the Dodgers. I would have been, yeah. Yeah. I would have bet Mets. I would have bet the A's. I would have bet the A's against in 90, too. It's the Reds. Billy Hatcher went like 12 for 16 that World Series. This is stupid. Some teams, you get hot. I know. Baseball's so strange. That A's team, they choked a lot, though. I mean, I guess they went to three World Series in a row, so I don't mean like that. No, but but to only win one doesn't seem. Against teams that weren't that good. Doesn't seem like it should be. The only one they won, the 89 Giants team sucked, too. For a World Series team. That's who they beat. That's the Earthquake Series. Yeah, that's right. It's like they, they went against three cream puffs. Yeah. And they only walked away with one. And then the 92, they lost in the ALCS to the Blue Jays, who was actually a stack team. They should right. have lost that. Right. That Blue Jays Is that the one that Carter? Is that the, 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 the one that they... Uh, no. They, no, did they win in 93? They won 92 and 93. 93 was right. Carter. Carter, right. But 92 was uh, Dave Winfield, I think was MVP. Yeah. But, yeah. but they beat the A's in the LCS. Uh, but that team was so stacked. It's such a weird, like, two-year run for them. They were and great. They've been shit. Paul Molitor was on one of those teams. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, Robbie Wait, Alomar. did Molitor... Did he hit 400? No. no. Did he hit four... Paul Molitor, he hit... Paul Moore had a 38-game hang streak. That's what it was. It, with the Brewers. Yeah. He had over 3,000 hits in his career. Very good player. Yeah. Finished with the Twins, but he was with the, with the, uh, with the Blue Jays for uh, that role for a couple years, but he was with the 93. I think he was there in 93-95, but he's there in 93 for sure because Winfield left in 92 to go to the Twins. He also had 3,000 hits. But you had, you know, John Oliver was on that yeah. team, Joe Carter, like you said, Robbie Alomar. Uh, that, that bullpen was sick. You had Dwayne Ward. Tom Hankey was there in 92. Like, that, that team was really good. Like really, it's like an underrated team. What happened? No, ninety four strike happens. And everyone kind of forgot about them. Then they were done. They haven't. Well, then they're, Yankee, they've done nothing since. I know that Yankee team went on that oh, run. That, that, right through that, which was a yes. much right. But that almost that Yankee team kind of kicked dust in the Blue Jays' face, like that, like wiped them off the. Because no one ever thinks about them. No. I know, like, but they were really good. They were with Jimmy, a great team. Hmm. Yeah, sorry, Blue Jays. There you go. Uh, so we're back on oh Sunday Patreon. Tomorrow. The accused tomorrow. The accused. And then Monday. The accused with what's the what's the song? God damn it. Some song. Oh, Bobby McFerrin. Thank you. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Okay, there is. Good advice from Matt. Uh, and then Monday, we're back with a bonus show for you guys. Uh, right. Last of the weekends. Yep. So um, anything else before we uh, sign off? All right, see you.